Welcome to the 902 Podcast, the official podcast of the Lancaster County Sheriff's Office in Lincoln, Nebraska. I'm Captain John Vick, and I want to thank you for listening. This podcast will give you an inside look at LSO with topics and guests to discuss public safety issues impacting Lancaster County. Be sure to subscribe for highlights on news, cases, and the people working for you at LSO. You can also follow us across social media at LSO Nebraska on Facebook, X, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. Welcome to the 902 Podcast. We're here in studio today to talk about Drug Take Back Day. To do that, we've got Sheriff Wagner, Chief Deputy Houchin. Thanks for being here, guys. Good morning. Morning. Beautiful Friday. It is a little cooler. It is. Getting used to the fall weather again, but it's Nebraska, so here we go. Since we are in Nebraska, we have our friends from the Nebraska State Patrol with us today. And uh, in studio, Chris Apley, John Lukish, and Tyler Kroenke. Um, and we're going to talk to you guys all about things, prescription drugs, including the drug take-back day. But before we get to that, I want to learn a little bit about you guys. So who wants to start? Oh, I think you should probably start with the boss, maybe. Okay. I don't know so, if I really qualify as a boss here, but, uh, hey, I'm Chris Apple with the State Patrol. been here since uh, 2001, worked Traffic Services Division. I uh, had an opportunity to go to the Investigative Services Division, work alcohol, tobacco. Fortunately for me, I've been a uh, long history with your department. I had yes. a chance to come here and work for the Fugitive Task Force uh, yeah. underneath uh, the chief deputy here mm-hmm. uh, back in the day. So that was a great opportunity. and. I really appreciate the opportunity to work with you guys with that. Yeah, some of the gray hair I have is because of you, Chris. I guarantee I caused some of that, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Between you and some of the stuff that uh, the sheriff had to deal with that we did back in the day, yeah, uh, I, yeah. I guess I formally apologize well, today. Thank you. Yep. Yep. No, you, were always, you were always great to have around here, Chris, so it's good to have you back. Well, it, it is great to work with a, your guys' department. I mean, like I've told other people, one of the best departments in the state, if not the best sheriff's department in the state, and I, I can't be too impartial about that but you guys do a fabulous job yeah well hey we, we really appreciate it so thanks for coming in yeah yeah so uh moved on to the da after that for a little while okay and then i uh, got promoted to the criminal sergeant now we run the one of those duties is work on the pharmaceutical diversion program and the script fraud so i got tyler over here tyler's one of our past guys as well uh he's working with uh, the da group now so cool he can kind of talk about himself tyler where are you from uh originally i'm from north bend just uh, up in dodge county uh, grew up there and then came on the patrol in 2010. Uh, just like these two guys, I cut my teeth in traffic here in Lincoln. Uh, I was in David City in Wahoo, but always ventured down here and worked, uh, worked the streets down here. Uh, 2017, I moved over to the DEA task force doing pharmaceutical diversion, what we're going to talk about today. And then just, was it 2021, October, or somewhere in there? Yeah. Uh, DEA started, I think it's 22, we're a year now, yep. Okay. DEA started an overdose group um, where we respond to overdose deaths that are drug related and try to prove, you know, who gave that lethal dose to them and uh, been doing that for the last year. So, And uh, I'm John Lukish. I am uh, also with the State Patrol. I started in 2006 working the road here in Lincoln. That was my duty station right out of the chute, and that's where I stayed buried on nights and weekends for the next 13 years. Uh, after that, I ventured on up into Omaha, took a, a transition over into Investigative Services Division, and I was tasked with uh, dealing with the state-level pharmaceutical diversion program. And pretty much what I've been doing ever since, uh, uh, anything that uh, deals more uh, with Nebraska statutes rather than uh, uh, federal, that's all, that's what I get to deal with. So, Yep. 
Awesome. Well, we're super glad you're here, John. Appreciate um, it. We're, you know, we talk about the the war on drugs, so to speak, and and it's gone by a lot of different names over the years. But without a doubt, um, whether they're street drugs or pharmaceutical drugs that are used for you know abusive purposes, they drive a lot of crime um, in uh, in Nebraska and nationally across the country. So, Chris, what what things does the state patrol have in place to deal with? with drugs. So that, that covers yeah. a lot of different bases, but it does, it really does. So, you know, you always have your illicit side of the house, right? Mm-hmm. Our marijuanas or methamphetamines and cocaines, things of that nature. Yep. Uh, typical road operations all the way down to task forces across the state. Uh, each troop area, we have six troop areas. They all have a drug division. Uh, some are in task force, some with locals out in those areas, as well as we also have some partnerships with the federal agencies as mm-hmm. well, DEA more specifically. In the Omaha metro area, we have a commercial interdiction unit. Um, we have uh, more of a specialty stuff is what we do, right, with the pharmaceutical diversion. Yep. And then what Tyler does with the overdoses yeah. uh, task force that's up there. So um, one thing we developed in this is a reporting alerting process, which we'll get into later, that is an assist to the healthcare providers to get the information out when there's fraudulent activity occurring there. Okay, okay. So... All basically all all gamuts all, all gamuts all corners of the spectrum on on uh, on drug enforcement. Um, separate though from the federal level, correct. And you guys have a broader reach as a state patrol than than just our local um, city and county yep. um, law enforcement agencies. Yeah, and and you know we're here to assist those local and local city agencies as well as you know the county agencies and in any investigations they have in their areas. Perfect. Uh, and that's. Don't, we're not the ones that come in and take over. We're just a mere additional asset that's available to assist in, in specific cases that require some of the specialty skills we have or the, the uh, assets that we have available. Absolutely. Well, let's get into some of the pharmaceutical um, enforcement stuff. And, and it, some of this is enforcement, but I'm sure a lot of this, John, is, is prevention and education stuff too. Is that Actually, a lot of it is an educational component. Uh, we, we start out and we know that there is some level of discomfort whenever somebody sees law enforcement around. Mm-hmm. And uh, we tended to get that vibe when you go into pharmacies, go speak with healthcare professionals. And it does take that education and to put them at ease and get that buy-in. And so we just try to be there to let them know what resources we can provide and how we can help them. And the better job we do, the more buy-in that we get from them, the quicker response, the more frequency that they're letting us know if there's any suspicious activity. And that just helps us do our job better and them do theirs. Perfect. I think it's very important to mention here, uh, and I'm going to make Chief Debbie Houchin laugh when I say this, but there is a customer service element that, oh, yeah. in this that we do, right? Um, We've learned over the years, uh, this isn't something new, right? The patrol did this back in years in, in the 90s, early 90s, and it it's kind of evolves and rotates. However, the focus on fentanyl, the focus on overdoses has increased. You know, uh, pharmaceutical diversion on, and, and overdoses is with pharmaceuticals is probably, what, the third highest? I think we got maybe marijuana, cocaine above that. But it's the third highest overdose that we have with you know, prescription drugs, mm-hmm. right? That, that's what it is. Uh, why? Why would that be? Very easy. Um, not everybody knows where their corner drug dealer is. However, where is their, where is a pharmacy? Everybody knows, yeah. Yeah, one close, right? So it's legal, right? Legal process. They've just diverted that process to that location. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Well, yeah. and I think they think it's safer too because it's not off the street and things regulated. Yeah, yeah, or, yeah or, right, or right. Somewhat regulated. Yeah, it's regulated. It's harder to get, <coughs> harder to maintain, and, or get there. So that's always one of the big things is is that. And you know, with that, we've also noticed that when pharmacies were calling in to nine one one or a local police department, right, saying that somebody's there to pick up a, a fraudulent script, mm-hmm. um, in the queue of things that day. There may be another 25 phone calls, calls, waiting calls on hold. And they have to prioritize those calls that come in. And maybe that pharmaceutical call of a fake script is not going to be the high priority. You have violent crimes occurring. You have, you know, people getting hurt, car accidents, domestics, whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. And so the pharmacies would call and they wouldn't get anything back for 30, 45 minutes. The guy leaves, guy leaves, Mm -hmm. and it's not there anymore. So... What we have strived to do is a three to five minute response so that they get that customer service, they get that feedback, and then we can gather the information, determine if it's fraudulent. And then we're able to go ahead and get that shoved over out as an alert so then all the pharmacies know, right? Sure. Chain pharmacies will talk to each other internally, but in a regional aspect, a hy uh, is not going to talk to a Walgreens or mm-hmm. vice versa, right. right? But we can control that. So they report to us, we shove it out. So we're a clearinghouse, for lack of better terms. Well, it's important to jump on that quickly because a lot of times the person who is uh, trying to get the script has a fake ID or anything like that at that point, and getting your hands on them, being able to identify them helps a lot in trying to, than it is trying to catch them 30 minutes behind. Yeah, and we actually are going to probably dive into it a little bit more late, later, but uh, a lot of the times if you don't, you miss that window of opportunity, it could be gone. Yeah. And these they're down people, the road. Yeah, they, you're not going to get them across the street. They're probably outside of the state or, you know, Lord knows where. So why don't we just, why don't we break it down for our listeners that maybe aren't familiar with this at all? They've never heard of pharmaceutical diversion. Um, What's the program and and how is it kind of set up? It's very base. Pharmaceutical diversion is basically altering a prescribed substance from its originally intended purpose. it's right there on the bottle. You see a doctor is going to have your name on it with the directions on how to use it, how many times a day, you know, that kind of thing. And so if you deviate from that, say take too much or uh, you're giving it out or selling it, that's where we have the event of diversion and that's where we start stepping in. And so, I mean, that's, essentially what I deal with okay. at, at the state level. And then, of course, it can grow bigger than that on the grand spectrum. And that's where I start talking to people like Tyler, who deals with it at more of the federal level. So we're so just to get our kind of our terminology right, when we're talking pharmaceutical diversion, we're talking about using prescription drugs for what's other than their intended or, or prescribed purpose. Correct. And that, I mean, diversion happens in several ways. It could be a doctor shopper, a burglary, a fake script, whatever it may be. But you're taking that legal substance and you're diverting off of that chain of what it should be to be prescribed legally. Yep. And then it hits the streets uh, in some way, shape or form. I think a lot of people don't realize that if I'm prescribed, um, let's say, a painkiller or narcotic and I don't use them all, and then my wife gets a headache or he has a pain, and I say, "Well, I've got these. Take one." That's that's diversion. That's uh, illegal, and that's diverting Correct. those drugs to a purpose not intended, right? Yes, absolutely. I mean, it, the 
prescriptions given to you and it's prescribed towards you, right you, what your health needs are at that time the doctor didn't see your friend the doctor didn't see your your wife um and so you to give it to somebody else that it yeah. classifies as a felony um it's yep. diversion yep. You, you you can't do that so the problem is like tyler alluded to the, the healthcare professional has not seen your spouse there might be an allergic yeah. reaction that to that medication that you're not aware of and so you might be putting them in harm's way by yep. doing what you think is help and i think what you said put it right on the head here you know sources of prescription painkillers some information we've been able to obtain roughly 38 percent come from a friend or uh, relative freely right oh, okay. really voluntarily sure. right so like you said yeah then that other about 36 percent would come from a prescription provided to them by their health care provider and then the, the third largest is a relative or friend that purchased them for them right uh you don't get down into the actual street level dealing per se and down to six percent or less you know so most of them is exactly what you Okay. Talked about sheriff. Or somebody figures out grandpa and grandma have that script and they go into the unsecured meds, yep. Yep. And and, and take it and do that part of it too. So maybe before we get into the the solution or at least what we're trying to do about it, it you mentioned some stats. Maybe it's a good time to just talk about, you know, the, the problem and, and so what we're seeing. So you guys have provided some stuff in here of just the just how explosive the you know the trends are in the number of prescriptions, but that follows pretty closely um, the number of overdose deaths involving prescriptions over the last 20 years. Yeah, when whenever we talk about overdose deaths, we we break it down into three waves, and everyone's seen this on the news and it's in the media all the time now. But the the first wave was your your pharmaceutical companies and their false advertising. There's Hulu documentaries on it now, and Netflix documentaries kind of explain that all. Um, but the overprescribing and saying that this is a safe substance, you know, mm -hmm. it's you can use it for just average pain and it's uh, use it every day, you know, and we've now found that that's not true. But we had a, a large amount of people addicted and when they get shut off because they do divert somehow because they need more and more, they turn to el illicit substances that have the same effects. And then it turned to heroin. That was the second wave. Now what we're seeing, which is the deadliest wave that we've seen is the synthetic uh, opioids like fentanyl mm -hmm. and all of its different analogs. And um, that's the majority of what our overdose deaths now are now. And uh, there's a stat out there that fentanyl now is the number one killer for uh, ages 18 to 45. So you're, you're healthy people, but that is your, that's your number one killer now is fentanyl, which is crazy. We, we worked a case, Ben, you and I, I mean, this is when we were in criminal mm -hmm. over, over 10 years ago. I mean, that was kind of one of the first, first ones I think that we had at the sheriff's office, at least that I can recall, where we'd, we had heard about these patches, you know, mm -hmm. that, that people were either cutting or diluting or doing, doing weird things with and, and actually injecting the substance because um, they were very high-volume users of this stuff. And sadly, um, it, it was an overdose death that we worked only to find out that the prescription that this victim had been using was actually a prescribed to a boyfriend mm -hmm. um, who was in jail, who was in jail at the time and, uh, yeah. and had been, been filling the prescription under someone else's name. So in, in like fentanyl, you know, we, we do see the patches. We do see there's, there's like lollipops that you get prescribed, mm -hmm. but now that's, 
you're not seeing that prescribed as much unless you have severe pain. Mm -hmm. I mean, if they're almost end of life type of care, but they have to turn to something else. So then we see the illicit fentanyl, which is the powder in the pill form Mm -hmm. uh, that is hitting our streets like crazy. Now is some of that not being prescribed, but being made down in Mexico is what I'm beginning to hear a lot of that part. Yeah. The majority of our fentanyl does come from Mexico as far as the illicit goes. Uh, That's what we see it. I mean, it all traces back somewhere down there. So we have not yet that I'm aware of seen like a lab making fentanyl here in Nebraska. You know, it has to come just like methamphetamine and any other drug we're seeing. It's coming from somewhere else. So, you know, from the from the pharmaceutical side, prescription side, what's scary is we make up 5% of the world's population, right? But we we consume 80% of the world's prescription drugs. Wow. That's a large number. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that's significant. And one thing that over the years the towers beat into my brain is, uh, you know, last year CDC estimated uh, roughly 107, 735 Americans lost their lives, right, from overdoses. Mm-hmm. And, and as Tyler put it, and he puts it the best way I've ever heard it is, that is a airplane, a commercial airplane liner per day crashing into the ground, right? Wow. Hmm. All right. We're talking over, you know, roughly 300 a day. Mm-hmm. Now, if, let's just put that in perspective. If that happened, what would happen in the United States? Oh, people go crazy. Everything would be shut down. Ground airplanes would be on the yeah. news every single day, and yeah. it wouldn't stop until the, right. there would be a solution. Yeah. But yet we see it with overdoses, and we just record statistics. We, at, we're trying to make a more proactive stance on this, but, mm-hmm. but it's, it's not catching the headlines quite like we should. Yeah, I mean, it's, you're, you're talking, I mean, that's like war numbers when you're talking casualties um, at, at that, you know. And that's not even adding up the near misses where Narcan is used and saves the person's life. Yeah, and Narcan, I mean, it has been uh, a, a good thing, I think. I mean, we see it prescribed more and more now, and I think you get the first free dose uh, from the pharmacies, and um, that's saving so many lives. We see... A lot of the overdose deaths we work, we see that that person overdosed three, four, five times beforehand, mm-hmm. and you know, and we've been revived with Narcan, and you know, wish we would be able to get to them sooner, you know, and start to investigate it because that federal charge that we we look at, um, you know, we can charge them with serious bodily injury or death if they distri- distribute leading to that. Well, it's serious bodily injury counts as just an overdose. Even if they live, we can still go after that dealer and try to figure out who gave them that lethal dose. Yeah. And hopefully get, you know, if we go and do it fast enough, we can then get their supply off the streets before they give it to 10 other people that, you know, also overdose. Because we see it in batches a lot, you know, because there's a bad batch that happens. And then, you know, we see a lot of bodies drop really fast. Yeah, they're using the same amount, but the purity of it is so much higher. And then they And it's not coming, you know, the illicit stuff's not coming from a pharmacy. So we're... You might get a hot one, and then, you know, the next time you get, it's it's hardly anything. So you use the same amount, you know, and then you're like, oh, man, that one was a lot stronger than the previous one because it's not mixed, right? It's not a chemist sitting in a lab. It's, you yeah, know. You got beavers and butthead. Yeah, you pretty know, much. It's a great way to lab, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You have no idea what you're getting. Um, so, And I think uh, uh, one thing that comes to mind, we talk overdoses a lot. We say overdose a lot, however and we may get into this more later, but there's, there's poisoning also comes to mind, right? Sure. Because if I'm, if I have addiction problems and there's people have addiction problems out there in this world, psychologically and physically uh, exposed and predetermined to potentially have that happen. Right. And 
let's just say I was a, a cocaine user, right? I know I, I take cocaine, I can take so much, I build a tolerance to cocaine, and at some point in time I've used cocaine so long, I have to take more and more and more and more, and then I step over that line because I have to take so much. That's an overdose, right? Okay. However, college kid sitting there studying for his uh, exams, and he needs to stay awake, and needs an Adderall from his buddy, which is obviously diverging. Right. However, buddy gives him Adderall, well, what? What he doesn't know is that Adderall that the buddy got, he bought off the street, right? And he bought 10 of them, and they're laced with fentanyl. Mm. And that one, this this gentleman is trying to, gentleman, woman, who, who may be trying to take an Adderall because they believe it's an Adderall. However, it has fentanyl on it, and it's a, they overdose. Or they, they're poisoned. They, yeah. They're poisoned. Yeah. It's not overdose at that point. <clears throat> so th- that's why probably the scariest thing to me now in this world, and it's, it's kind of funny, I've I've got a lot of kids. I got six kids, right? Great family. Love my family to death. And I spend more time talking to them about there's three people you can take a pill from mom, dad, and the doctor. And that's it. Mm-hmm. You know, the old days of you guys and us getting the lectures about drinking alcohol, doing other things that we shouldn't be doing. To me, the most scariest thing as a parent is them taking a substance that they shouldn't be taking. The scary thing for, for prescription drugs, at least in my mind, is that this, this impacts people from all walks of life. I mean, it's not, you're not just talking, you know, when, when you think of street drugs, um, you know, you might not always... Skid row and all that, you know? Yeah, you're, you're not always thinking yeah. of, the, of the person that's sitting in class next to you or, or you know, the, the doctor or something like that. But, I mean, we all get injuries where we might need um, prescription drugs. Yeah, absolutely. Every investigation that I've run where it's more addiction-based rather than for-profit type of a situation... Um, you will talk to these people, and it'll all start out with, well, when I was playing football, I blew out my knee, had to have an ACL repair or something like that, and then all of a sudden, I was taking these pain meds, and I just could not stop. Or I've also had back surgeries from, I don't know, a work-related injury, mm-hmm. uh, pregnancies that women have talked about how they were prescribed opiates, and then they had to take that next step right. because when they were cut off from the doctor they didn't have anywhere else to go but they were addicted yeah and we're not talking people that were you know hanging out with the wrong crowd or were you know into partying and all that stuff i mean these are people that are taking medications for a legitimate purpose and you know end up in that spiral yeah it ends up grabbing them yeah absolutely yeah hey i'm captain john vick with the lancaster county sheriff's office When it comes to your career, don't settle for good enough. Don't settle for ordinary. We won't either. Be different, be better, be exceptional. Start your future today at joinlso.com. So I think we've hit on the the problem, um, you know, fairly comprehensively. What What are we working on to do about it? So we have, have taken approach of, of trying to help out in multiple different ways. Uh, one is education, not only education within law enforcement, but education with the uh, healthcare providers. Uh, we've done various conferences and trainings and put together some WebExes here to make the pharmacies, pharmacists, healthcare providers, whoever they are, we've talked with the VA and, and various other places and provided them information about what we see, educate them on pharmaceutical diversion things that methods of diversion that we're seeing uh how to spot some fake prescriptions that may be coming into their facilities how to report it to us and then work through 
those various scenarios. We've also done trainings with law enforcement across the, the state and also region. We've taught in South Dakota. Um, we have one of the most unique programs around, I think. And I, I don't know, Tyler, is there any, I don't know if there's any other state quite doing what we're doing exactly the way we're doing it. We've, we've created a reporting and alerting process for the healthcare providers that they can reach us out to us one of four ways. Uh, and it goes to a group of investigators that immediately get it on their phone. And our goal is to call them back within three that, to five minutes. That's where you're talking that customer service piece. Yep, that okay. customer service piece. So then we can, if they got something that comes in that looks suspicious to them, they reach out to us and we work through the problem with them together. Once we've determined that it's been fraudulently uh, documented, written, then we go ahead and we send out a regional alert. And so we have all the healthcare uh, pharmacies in a, in a contact list that we're able to filter down to the region. Mm-hmm. send them an email and a fax saying, hey, this is going on. This is occurring. Because a lot of the time when fraud is occurring, it's not going to happen at one pharmacy, right? Because there's a lot of great pharmacists in this world that catch that fraud. However, if they don't get it from the first one, they go to the next one. Mm-hmm. And they'll shotgun the area. It's the shotgun effect, right? Yep. One of the BBs is going to land somewhere. And so that's what we do is we shove that information out, and then we coordinate with local law enforcement uh, to try to get a response there and then start an investigation. Now you were, we, were, we were talking before, and you were talking about these major crime yeah. groups, gangs and things coming yep. in and yep. doing some of that. Can you talk a little bit about that yeah, and what's so, happening? So mostly what we see, mainly there's two types of, of groups per se. There's more than two, but the main two are, A, you have those folks that have unfortunately become addicted at some point from an injury, whatever it may be, and those folks are the folks that need help. However... Uh, what we've seen in our investigations over the last several years is there's a, a criminal element or a criminal organized element in this, right? And they're in it for profit. They aren't using, they're merely just there to make money, okay? And they travel across the entire country. They'll put groups and traveling groups together to go through areas and regions and try to pick up uh, pharmaceuticals from the, the hospitals, from the pharmacies, and then take them back and sell them on the street for a profit. And there, there are also those same criminal organizations that have moved towards more pharmacy burglaries. And I know I've worked a few around this area with Jeremy Shores, and, I mean, mm-hmm. he does a great job, and he's one of the more educated people on this topic. But, uh, yeah, they they jump counters, they break windows, they, and the reason that they're doing that, and we're seeing them move away towards those national retail chains, is you break into a Walgreens, you got to break through the front sliding doors, the second sliding doors, by that time the alarm's going off and you're probably in a bigger populated area like Lincoln where the you know there's law enforcement closer by and then you got to get back to the pharmacy counter which has probably got a gate down. Right. But if we go out to, you know, little small town Nebraska mm-hmm. where they got to break the glass window and jump the counter and by the time the alarm's going off if they have an alarm. Yep. With no videos, if they have videos, um then the county's got to come from yeah, or deputy, wherever they deputy are. Deputy or I mean, troopers you, yeah. 15 minutes away. Yeah, and, it, on a good day, yeah. you know. And so there's just – and they're in and out. They grab as much as they can. And it's we're seeing the same approach on uh, the criminal organizations that are using it for um, the fraudulent scripts. And um, we're, we're catching a lot of these people now, and I think it's a lot to do with the program. Um, any retail pharmacy that we've seen burglarized, we've, we've gotten people – and we've indicted people, and um, we're catching them now more than what we ever have before. So, I would say, too, that not only are they going to be here doing prescription fraud, right, 
they're going to be in the area doing additional frauds. We've had cases where they've come in and uh, had stolen credit card information and they're buying goods and products. Uh, I believe one case we had, they're buying lawnmowers and trailers, moving on down the road to the next city or the next state, posting Facebook ads, selling those lawnmowers, mm -hmm. cash only, cash in hand to, to fuel their, their, their legal activity. And, you know, uh, a lot of the stuff that we see in there, we see some of the the COVID fund fraud going on too, with COVID and PPE loans, things like that. Well, and that's the money stream, you know, of, of your, your, your selling or pawning, you know, stolen goods, and then you're using that to fuel the, your, your purchases of drugs and addictions and things. So it's, it's a cycle. And um, so the, you know, the crimes blend together, but then even where those crimes are committed, like you said, they don't, they don't know any borders either. So being able to have that communication, talk back and forth, um, not only between different jurisdictions, but also, you know, with, with us in law enforcement, making sure that, you know, different investigators that are working different crimes are talking together too. So, yeah, there's, there's no great deconfliction tool, right, right. For this type of activity. So essentially we kind of became somewhat of that deconfliction tool. Nice. And, um, clearinghouse for intelligence and information between the healthcare providers and various law enforcement groups. And Love that's it. kind of what we do. Yeah. yeah. Our, our alerting process generally started out just to advise other pharmacies of activity that was going on in the area, but we've actually throughout the years gotten buy-in. And now we also include uh, corporate business heads and uh, also other law enforcement agencies uh, we like if there's anything not only in the state of Nebraska but now regionally happening, we get alerts from like South Dakota Board of Pharmacies that uh, uh, will alert us if they have anything because obviously if we have people that are doing that shotgun blast across our region and they're coming from states away, they're they're not just focusing on Nebraska. They're hitting everything along the way and they're still moving on. It's a it's a national problem. Yeah, so they, they hit it for one day, then move on to the next bigger city down the road. And that's why we need to be able to communicate yes. with have people outside of the state of Nebraska and not so Yeah, I, I can throw a couple of the reporting numbers, alerting numbers that we've gotten. The reports we received, uh, I don't have it in front of you guys. I apologize. I got it sitting here, but it's uh so far, since the inception in 2020, or sorry, we accepted this, what, 2018, I think, 18, 19, somewhere in there, uh, about 450. We didn't do a great job of tracking it in the beginning, but since uh, 2020, 450 reports we've received from pharmacies, okay? Uh, we don't get into the alert numbers out because one pharmacy, two pharmacies, three pharmacies might report the same thing, so then we aren't going to keep sending alerts over and over and over we don't we don't have a great number as far as accurate numbers for that because it's it's harder to manage. But reporting cities, Omaha's about forty three percent, Lincoln twenty two, um, and then we get into some of the metro areas, Bellevue, Grand Island, Hastings. There it tapers off down to three percent, two percent pretty quick. So bulk of the activity obviously is where bulk of the, the people, population yeah. is, bulk of the pharmacies. Right. So so that's where we've spent a lot of our time is in these metropolitan areas because they can work the quickest and the fastest. So are you, are you talking about um, <clears throat> smurfing cases? And I, you mentioned uh, Investigator Schwartz. He, he's kind of our go-to guy here on smurfing cases, on people that are that are uh, getting strangers to buy pseudoephedrine form to make methamphetamine. So is that part of your purview or not? It's really not. I we mean, we, we would, much. but we just haven't seen much okay. on the smurfing stuff. But 
I did. I mean, when I interviewed for this spot years ago, Jeremy was the one I went and talked to because mm-hmm. he was kind of the subject matter expert and does yep. a phenomenal job at it. Um, but uh, it's it's a lot of like uh, what started off as like fake prescriptions okay. and um, the the criminal organizations they will um, send in people like it, they're almost their worker you know they and that's we've talked to law enforcement a lot about how to respond because we're actually looking for that person that might be out in the car right you know because they're they're the ones controlling the show and they're sending people in and that person's dispensable to them. Like, so the law yeah. enforcement responds and we go arrest that person. They might not have much to do with other than they were trying to earn a few bucks. Um, but the person in the car is collecting all of it and then going back to Chicago, Minneapolis, Washington, yeah. and kind of doing it that way. So, Yeah, kind of on your smurving thing, he's 100% right. They send runners in and they have drivers drive. Right. And they have crew leaders lead the crew. Uh, I'll give you an example. One of our cases was a, a, place, a group out of Chicago area. And uh, they they were doing some reporting to pharmacies. So we had about 2,600 calls for a year and a half, year and a half of their phone data we looked through. 2,600 calls to 1,400, roughly 1,400 pharmacies in 34 states in a year and a half. Wow. So, I mean. They were busy. They're busy. They're running multiple crews, multiple runners. So, yeah, it equates kind of your smurfing. We don't see the a lot of the, the homemade methamphetamine anymore. Cause yeah, the precursors. The, the, the price is so. Yeah, and the precursors are, yeah. It also goes back to that customer service aspect of like, well, I mean, we serve the public and those are, you know, 1400 different pharmacies that are having to deal with this problem, you know, and deal with this fraudulent stuff that's trying to take business from them. And they're trying to, they're having to call the cops while also serving their customers. And it's just, it's a nuisance. It's a problem. And it just impacts it, you know, the, the whole economics of those small pharmacies. And, and, and it costs the legitimate consumers more in the end 100%. to deal with all this. Yeah. And, and, he hit it on the head. It's um, that's one of the big selling points when we talk to the the larger groups, the larger retail chains. Is like, look, you know, we're here to help you, uh, and if you you work with us, we're going to help reduce some of that. And the man hours. I mean, think of the man hours spent and the, just the cost, not only on law enforcement, but but those community or those those health care provider companies. They're they're spending so much money inefficiently, completely mm-hmm. inefficient. And so we're hoping to be that clearinghouse you know, to help them become a little more efficient. So isn't, if, isn't it just scary how much in demand this stuff is? Because without the demand, they wouldn't be doing this, and there's a lot of people out doing it, and that's what's really scary to me. Yeah, I mean, it's a money-making machine, and as long as it keeps churning out a profit, they're not going to stop. It's a 24-hour day, 365-day process. Yeah, and, and it's so sad that so many people want this and, and, and keeping them in business. Well, it's, it's, it's sad that we have... So many Americans that have have these addiction problems that aren't getting addressed, right? I mean, let's say that there is a listener out there who wants to wants to get in touch with you guys, or may, maybe there's a pharmacy owner out there that's not one of the big chains, but it's you know the the Chris Apley Pharmacy in small town yeah, Nebraska. Yeah. So how do they get in touch with your your team and tap into those resources. Yeah, no problem. Uh, so what we've done is we've obtained all the pharmacies uh, fax numbers okay. throughout the state. And so yep. we've sent them out fax information. They, they've got a phone number they can get hit us on. They've got an email address. They've got an online reporting tool. Um, 
and we made it abundantly clear. I don't even care if you're just calling the talks and tell me hi. You can fill out that online form, and somebody's going to call you back in three to five minutes because that's why we're here. Yeah. If it's just a mere question, hey, I got a question, boom. So they can get a hold of us, and then there's that the phone number that they have available to them. Okay. Uh, it's a 24-hour number. Um, outside of that, if anybody else has anything, if it's a civilian who has some questions, mm-hmm. right, citizen of any area, uh, there's always the hotlines that they can call into, hotline tips. Uh, I believe you guys have one probably. We have one as well. Um, main line for the state patrol also is another one. So, And uh, let's, let's see, is that like the, the main number? Yeah, the um, 402-471-4545. Perfect. Okay. Yep. Let's talk a little bit about drug take-back day. First of all, why do we do drug take-back days? Well, there's obviously unused medications uh, out there. People either overcome their afflictions and don't feel the need to finish out their whole prescription, or maybe uh, there might be um, just a situation where... uh, Grandpa and grandma die. Yeah, hospice situations. You got end-of-life care where you're just trying to provide pain relief, and those people are uh, afforded a lot of different prescriptions, anything to make them at ease, and then all of a sudden end-of-life comes, and what do we do with all these medications? Uh, We partner with the DEA and twice a year we try to set up these take backs and I'll be personally working in conjunction with the your agency the Lancaster County Sheriff's Office and we'll be set up at the High V on uh, 51st and O Street here in Lincoln and it's going to be on October 28th we're going to run it for approximately four hours from 10 in the morning to two in the afternoon and what we'll do is we'll try to help you dispose of those medications pr- appropriately. Um, we, we can, there are certain things that we can and cannot take, like syringes are not gonna be able to be taken, but uh, if we can help you dispose of any unwanted medications appropriately, rather than sending them on down the drain or just throwing them in the garbage, we will do so. You know, it's funny, uh, the sheriff and I were talking yesterday, um, back when I first started, and I, we do a, a lot of coroner reports and corner calls here and we would go to a hospice death or in home death usually hospice because there's a nurse there and we would sit there and the medication would be there and we'd watch them dump it into the toilet flush it and there was a form that we had to sign at that point in time and that's how they ended up doing it all the time and we just didn't realize how bad that really was nobody did right yeah i mean Everybody's evolving over the years, and we're figuring all this out. Like, yeah, we're, we can potentially be contaminating the water and everything else. So uh, they've decided to do something about it. I want to pick you up back a little bit more off the why, mm-hmm. why we're doing the take backs. Uh, you know, some of the numbers, we got 82% of the pharmacies that fill prescriptions are for opioids, right? And what's our problem? Opioids. Mm. Yep. I mean, 82%, right? Uh, there's been trends over the 20 years. Uh, just throw some numbers out here that we've, we've received uh, for the national nationwide pharmaceuticals filled by prescriptions for opioids, 78 million in 1992, all the way up to about 210 million in 2010, right? I don't have anything newer than that, but you can see the trend. It's moving upwards, right, significantly. Yeah. And so we do take back to try to get some of those opioids back off the streets, which is going to ultimately help us out with some of those addiction problems, which can help us out with fentanyl crisis that we're all occurring as well right um so yeah he said we'll be there to take back the capsules and all that stuff the capsules patches whatever we can forms of drugs no sharp things anything that's going to point or prick us stick us make us go out or bleed we cannot have okay 
liquids. Just make sure they're sealed up in those tight bottles that they came in, original. And uh, they will take vape, cart- uh, vape cartridges, vape equipment, as long as there's no batteries involved, too. So mm. if you have some of that vaping stuff that you want to get rid-, rid of. There are also other alternatives, year-round drop boxes. Um, so the, the numbers for take back have, have decreased, and this is the 25th one that they've done for DEA that we, that we uh, support. Uh, to give you some ideas for the numbers and totals and weights, looks like from 2019, there were 9,800-ish law enforcement agencies participating across the country. Uh, they collected roughly 900 tons. Um, 2020 was 4,100. We had a COVID drop there, roughly 500 tons. Uh, Moving forward all the way up to 22, it was about 684 tons. So a lot of stuff comes in. We get rid of a lot of stuff. And it's good. And it's safely then destroyed, incinerated, and burned in a controlled environment. And we just get it out of the way. What do you say to the person who, who has a you know a bunch of pills at grandma's house or their house? Maybe they even got them under questionable circumstances. So can that person, can that person bring them in? Are they going to get... You know, brought into a small dark room with a lampshade and question. Okay. It's like an amnesty day. Now, obviously, we're talking about pharmaceuticals here. Right. No illicit narcotics, right? We can't have anything like that. But we don't don't ask any questions. It's uh, come up, drop your stuff in the bag, have a great day. Sometimes we'll have, uh, I I can't really get into the company that we have here, but there's various other ways to get rid of narcotics, or sorry, uh, pharmaceuticals that we can provide. Uh, You can purchase various drug disposable safe systems and a company that we work we have uh, been able to meet with has provided us with some of these that we provide at our sites and it's nothing more than it looks like a oversized pill bottle with some liquid in it and it can take up to about 50 capsules so let's just say you you happen to show up at the hy-vee on saturday and you're like oh i wish i would have known i have some at home well we'll have some of these with us we can give you one and you can take home and safely deposit it. Once it's in there, you can throw it in the trash, and it's been safely uh, neutralized, neutralized that way. What happens um, if the if the uh, uh, pharmaceuticals are not in their original, original packaging? Container. Yeah, if they're in a pill Loose, container. just bring, them on, bring the pill okay. container on in, and, and we'll take care of it that way. Okay. Okay. So that's October 28th, 10 to 2 p.m. at the 50th and O High V, um, right in Midtown Lincoln. If, awesome. if you happen to forget where it's at, the the DEA site, if you just go there, just Google DEA drug take back day. Okay. They have a list of all the sites that are available in Nebraska. So, yeah. So, so this isn't the only one. There's there's right. other ones across Nebraska. So that's DEA.gov slash take back day. And uh, you can go on there to find a list of, um, if, you're, if you're here in Lincoln, great. Um, come see them in High V, but otherwise plenty of other places across Nebraska and, and throughout the U.S. Yep. And in, in Nebraska for October here, we're going to have 18 agencies participating, about 22 sites. And if for some reason you're tied up that day, can't make it, there are additional alternatives. If you go to NebraskaMeds.org, they have a nice interactive map that you can log on, and they have drop boxes and pharmacies 20, 24-7, 365. Uh, it looks like Lancaster County has about 50 locations. So if for some reason you couldn't make that date, there are alternative solutions to get rid of what you need to get rid of. Okay. Well, and, and I think you you spoke right to it, Chris. That there is so much of this out there, and any any dent that we can make in that to to get it out of the hands of you know a child um, that's that's stumbling across this stuff by mistake, um, out of the hands of somebody who is is addicted, um, that uh, that this is just going to continue to fuel that cycle. 
the more we can get off the streets, the better for everybody. Yeah, I, I look at what's going on in New York at the unfortunate daycare incident they had. No, God. Oh, God. It's horrible, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And, and just one simple thing can can change the trajectory of a, of a family's life yeah. and, and not be their fault or their, you know, it just happens. And, and we don't want that to happen. Well, I was so shocked with that of how much Narcan they had available because there was, what, 50 kids at that time, and they were trying to spread. I, you know, most... First responders are responding to that won't have that amount of uh, Narcan available. They yeah. usually all carry about one dose on us. At mm-hmm. a time. One or two, so, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, does that get us about up to speed? Or do we miss any? You know what I'd like to ask? We, uh, I said we work on a lot of hot, um, coroner investigations, and we have said that we've worked some deaths and done some of that. And I was kind of interested in, you know, we get this, and, um, you know, sometimes you wait two months for the lab to come back, you know, this 35 year old person that seems to be in fairly good health and they're, they've died and you do the autopsy and there's nothing physical that should have happened. And so then you're sitting there waiting for that. And then it comes back, they have cocaine, they have fentanyl and they have all these different things into it. And it really can muddy the water on trying to get those investigations on what exactly caused the death and doing all that. And I know that's something you are working on. Yeah. And, and census group is, well, and even beforehand, we've we've tried to do some training for law enforcement because it is a time-sensitive deal on a lot of these deaths if we can do an investigation. And so we try to talk about different things that you can look for during an overdose as the law enforcement responder to go, hey, if they have this, maybe if it's a 35-year-old that has no other health problems, like maybe start thinking. Yeah, Again, and a history. Number one killer for 18 to 45-year-olds. So if they're 35, they drop over dead, and they have a history of drug use, Maybe we should treat that almost like a homicide until we know any different. Um, DEA does have a tox program that we use, um, and I reach out. I get the coroner's list uh, every day for the autopsies. So if I see one in Lancaster County, I reach out, and I just be like, hey, do you need any help? You want me to go and grab a second vial of blood? We send it off, and we can get the tox back pretty quickly. Um, at least then we kind of know. We have an idea of hey, it comes back in two weeks. It does list cocaine, fentanyl mixture we should probably look at that one a little closer. And it, the guys here in Lancaster County and Lincoln do a great job usually of responding to those. We get out into the more rural areas um, where they just don't have the resources right. and tie it up. So I, I really try to reach out to those surrounding counties and communities just to be like, <clears throat> hey, we're here to help. Um, Chris spoke on it earlier. We're not there to take over the case. We just want to be able to help and try to get this as fast as we can. Yeah, the turnaround time is huge on that because, yeah. you know, they don't have as much time to get away and, destroy evidence and doing all those kind of things and we may have the tox results back quick but we still have to wait for the pathologist report which could be three months Mm -hmm. and so Mm -hmm. anything we can do to react quickly because it's still worked as a drug investigation we can still go after that dealer and we may not be able to hit them on distribution leading to death right away because we got to wait for that pathologist report but if we can turn it and take the drugs off the street at least and get them off the street get them off the street for the time being then we at least, I think we did our job for the, the while we wait that 90 days. So Yeah, and, and Tyler, I, I know, and if you can speak to this, but uh, some of those investigations where you may not have everything you need for the first first incident where somebody may have overdosed or, or, or died, uh, it's still important, right, to get the information because it can follow up to some other cases? Yeah, we've had tons of cases where we may not have that individual, and we're not able to say that 
that dose that they gave them was the one that led to their death. But then the information we gather, phone dumps from mm-hmm. when we arrest them, will open up other investigations that were almost you know cold cases per se. And I'm just like, wow, we were we thought we were dead in the water there, but it, it this person talked, and all of a sudden now we have three other ones solved. So mm-hmm. it's it's great to always do follow up um, and just document what we can as law enforcement because it's going to come back later. Um, we've had four or five year old cases that come back into the fold because of an arrest that we have so it's hard always telling the families like hey i'm not going to be able to prosecute that individual that gave your loved one that dose but um we go after them different ways if i can just get them off the street that's better than nothing so i just think it's great that you guys are doing this and um i don't think a lot of people out in the public really understand how big of an epidemic this is for uh, us and not just in nebraska but throughout the huge whole United States. I would say it's not just the public. Uh, And that's why Chris spoke on just about training our law enforcement. Like we do these classes for law enforcement and we talk about, we hand out these smart cards because a lot of times if they do get called to a pharmacy for a fake script or, you know, a theft of whatever, um, our cops that are just working uniform every day, they have a ton of other pending calls. They just want to get in and get out and they're just not aware that there's specific state statutes that address these type of crimes that are felonies little not the misdemeanor ten dollar theft of what it costs the pharmacy for that 20 pills that were stolen right it's not known to the public why because illicit narcotic trafficking typically involves a lot of violence on top of it right yeah Where, where this here there's not a lot of violence going on with the the plumber that blew his rotator cuff out now he's addicted and now he's got to feed his addiction and so he's you know going to see multiple doctors or the person who keeps a rotten tooth in their mouth to go to the dentist to keep feeding their their addictions that's not that uh, that unusual right Mm -hmm. i think you said it uh earlier about how it just all walks of life we've got we've Mm -hmm. investigated cops teachers attorneys uh doctors orthopedic surgeons that have all the money in the world and study their whole lives but addiction doesn't know a, it affects everybody yeah, yeah. yeah. so they're it's, they're good people that you know we investigate so. I, and i mean piggyback on that you wouldn't even think about all the different places that this can occur and uh, i mean just how ambiguous this violation can be we have talked to veterinary um doctor hospitals and places like that people will Try to obtain from there. I mean, addiction knows no boundary. Yep. Yeah, we worked a case here where the doctor was uh, giving up scripts to a patient, and he the patient would go in and do it, and he'd take half, and the doctor would take half. And, you know, and mm-hmm. you just, like I said, and he just had an addiction, and that was his way of getting it and trying to not get caught. Yeah, and, and there's there's obviously privacy laws because we're dealing with individual people's you medical, know, medical records, records yeah. and conditions. So, um, And for a long time, you know, Nebraska is one of the last states to develop a prescription drug monitoring program in the, in the United States. And so if, let's just say, I went to the sheriff as my doctor and I needed a prescription, said, ow, oh, my shoulder hurts, blah, 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 sheriff writes me a prescription. Boom. I go over to the chief deputy and see him, and here's my prescription. I go see Tyler. They couldn't see each other's stuff, right? Right. And so that's where a lot of the problems in the past, again, that silent, unknown, siloed information. Mm-hmm was occurring now that we have that system in place it's it's helping but mm-hmm. you know as well as i know in law enforcement and in this type of work 
it takes time for everybody to get into that system of checking that and it, and it just it takes it takes some time and effort well that and then criminals get smarter on how they're going to go about to defeat it absolutely it, and as we're developing it's getting better but we still have steps to take um, i personally have an investigation where um, the only reason that we found out there was a problem was because it was great work by the pharmacist. Uh, they have access to this monitoring program, and they were able to, to find out the prescriptions that were issued to this person in Nebraska. But Nebraska doesn't necessarily talk to all the other states. Mm. And since we were in an area in Omaha, right across the border, they can go over to Iowa. She had access to Iowa's, which also had reciprocity to another state. Oklahoma, where this person had residency in. And now when she looks at those two programs, she was able to see there were overlapping prescriptions and doctor shopping. But if you would have looked at each one individually, you would have never, never saw seen it. that. Well, yeah. yeah, and there's that hesitancy, hesitancy for uh, private businesses to, to, to share information with law enforcement. There always has been in the past. Well, right? yeah, you know, you're talking HIPAA violations, and there's a big deal with that in the healthcare community. And so... Yeah, it's it's difficult sometimes. And getting this is into. this is kind of unique, right? Because it's not all about working a case, right? It's it's more about detecting what's going on, disrupting what's going on, deterring for this fraudulent activity happening. And hopefully, There's, they can get some help along yeah, the way. Yeah, and that you hit on it. Like these these folks that are out there that that got in a car wreck, have an addiction now because they hurt their shoulder, leg, knee, whatever. They need help. Yeah. I mean, mistakes happen to a lot of great people, right? And and this is one of those areas, the intent's not there per se, right? They, they need to get back on track on the right way. And so those folks need that help. And sometimes, unfortunately, they have to come in contact with us, and that's their first step to realizing they truly have yeah. problems serious enough to go get that yep. help. I think the big takeaway, you know, that I've heard from this is whether you're, you know, a, a cop that's listening to this, whether you're a pharmacist that's listening to this, um, just a, a citizen that's listening to this, by by being aware of this issue and by participating in things like drug take back day, um, by getting in touch with your group, um, you know, from the pharmacy level, as far as sharing information, the life that you might be saving could be your neighbor's life, could be your kid's life, could be, you know, people that, that you see in your community that are going through something that you don't even know. Um, but, but by there, there are everyday activities that people can do to combat this issue. And, uh, and again, big, big places to go, dea.gov slash takebackday. Um, come and see your team at the 50th and O High V coming up October 28th from 10 to 2, uh, where you can drop off any uh, unneeded prescription drugs um, that day. And, uh, and also just check out your website. You guys are at uh, nebraska.gov um, at the State Patrol website. And I uh, just recommend people go there, check it out if they've got any other questions. So, uh, is that about that about wrap us up today, guys? I think so. Hey, thank you guys for coming. Yeah, we really appreciate everything that, uh, that you and your team do, and uh, and thanks for spending time with us today. Yeah, and I, we all appreciate it. We appreciate having us in, and uh, we appreciate all the work that your your office does because, again, you guys do a phenomenal job to take care of this county, and it's greatly appreciated. Okay. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. We want to thank everybody for joining us and listening to the information provided about pharmaceutical diversion in Nebraska. Quick reminder, the drug take back day coming up is on October 28th from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. at the 50th and O Street High V in Midtown Lincoln. 
be sure to head over there and you can meet some of the people that were on today's episode. We want to thank the Nebraska State Patrol for all the work that they do every day to combat pharmaceutical diversion in Nebraska and also for the partnership that they have with our agency. To learn more about pharmaceutical diversion or the drug take back day, head to www.dea.gov slash takebackday. You can also go to www.nebraskameds.org for an interactive map of other locations where you can dispose of extra pharmaceuticals and prescription narcotics within Nebraska. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe and follow the 902 podcast. You can also reach out to us on social media at LSO Nebraska. Also, you can send us an email. LSO at lancaster.ne.gov is where you can find us on email. And we hope to catch you next time. Thanks for listening.